Thank you for being here. As Tyler just said, I am not Pastor Landon. He was away this week uh, speaking at a church camp in Oklahoma, and he is away this Sunday. And um, but he will be back tonight, so I'm really excited to have him back next week. Um, we've been going through the Book of Luke, and uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And let me, let me go ahead and start with the big idea. And the big idea is those who are preoccupied with immediate concerns are in danger of missing what ultimately matters most. You know, in being in youth ministry, one of the fun things that happens sometimes when you're speaking to some students, and this particular Sunday I was speaking to uh, a junior high Sunday school class, and it was actually on a lesson that is probably one of my favorite stories to teach junior high boys. And that is when uh, King Ehud, or Ehud, or whatever you want to call him, um, gets stabbed in the belly, and the knife goes into his belly, and the fat comes in over the dagger, and it's just awesome. It's an awesome story, right? So, but it's amazing sometimes when you're teaching about something out of the Bible. And by the way, if you want to look that up, it's a good story. Just, I'm just, um, how many times a junior high boy will look up at you with a confused look and go, so, do people go to heaven if they commit suicide? What? And you think to yourself, where did that come from? Where did that come from, this story? How did you even get that in your brain? Because junior high boys, if you know any, they're a little different, right? But it's amazing that you would sit there and go, okay, were you paying attention to what I was just saying? Did you listen to what I just said? Uh, that's exactly what's about to happen here in the book of Luke. Last week we saw that Jesus went into the meal with the Pharisees. He didn't wash his hands. And he gives them a talking to, as we would say in Oklahoma. And um, then the lawyers pop up. Hey, what you're saying to them offends us. So he gives them a talking to, right? And then Jesus comes out and he's speaking to a crowd. A crowd of people. And he's telling them to beware of the Pharisees. And then in verse 13, we see something happen. Someone chimes in with something that makes zero sense to what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is going to give him a talking to. So let's see what is going to happen here in verse 13, chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to, them, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, a land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul... You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, the night your soul is required, this night your, this, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, yet have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And, and do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek these things, after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you would speak directly to us as an individual. Father, I pray that you would speak to each of us, uh, speak to all of us corporately as a church. Father, that what you command us to do, what you have asked us to do, that, Lord, we would be willing to obey. So, Father, as uh, you share uh, what you would from your word this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about greed. One of the things that I want you to understand is we're not uh, necessarily going to be talking about money. Because greed can go, come from so many different avenues of money. Now, money is a big portion of that. So, yes, it will involve money. But possessions, your greed about your possessions and things. So, besides the kingdom of heaven, Jesus speaks more about money than any other single topic. Uh, so, it must be an important topic. We must think highly of this stuff if Jesus speaks a lot about it. So, let me just say this. Before I really get into the meat of this message, I'm just going to say this. That it is not a sin to have money. Okay? It's not a sin to make money. Um, but what we're going to share about today, I just want you to consider what God is speaking to you about. Both individually or as a church. Because I think so many times we try to single ourselves out as compared to the norm in the United States, or even compared to the norm in Odessa, Texas. And that's not necessarily what uh, I think Jesus or God wants us to do in this situation. So, uh, because the truth is, you could be absolutely the poorest person in the room, and you could be the most greedy person in the room. Does that make sense? It has nothing to do with how much you have. It has to do with your heart. So, Let's look at where Jesus starts this, and this is a warning. Jesus has a warning for us. 
Because we see immediately that greedy people do not listen to God. I got that from the guy in the crowd. Jesus is speaking about one topic. He's like, hey, Jesus, you be the judge and you tell my brother to give me my inheritance. Because obviously he's withholding it from him. He has greed in his heart and he wants his share. He's not even listening to what Jesus has to say because of the greed that's in his heart. Greedy people don't listen to God. So Jesus in verse 15 says, be on your guard. That's one of the things that Jesus immediately will start with. Jesus is not warning us of the evil of money, he, nor is he warning us of the evil of money making. It's a, give, it's a God-given gift to be able to make a living. I'm very glad that I live in the United States of America, and I'm glad that he's given me the ability to make money. Um, but just like last week when he's saying, beware of the Pharisees, this week he's saying, be on your guard against covetousness. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So possessions, greed, a state of being in want. Uh, it's a sickness. The worst part about greed is that most people don't realize that they're greedy. The worst part about greed is that most people don't realize that they're greedy. If you have a sexual sin, if you're cheating on your wife, or if you're uh, heavily involved in looking at pornography, you know it, right? You know it, it's right there, you, you can't hide, you know it, and it convicts you, okay? If you have an addiction, some type of addiction, you know it. Greed, you're like, well, I'm not greedy. Look at those people. They're greedy. I'm not greedy. It's hard to detect being greedy. It's one of those things that does not come to us very easily. It does not just show its face as this ugly thing. So we, here's what we associate greed with. We associate greed with people who have a lot of stuff. That's what we associate greed with. So therefore, if I have less than that person, that makes me less greedy, right? That's how we try to associate greed with. Another reason why it's hard to detect is because we all know someone who is richer than us. And we try to associate greed with people who have a lot of money. So if you don't have as much money, that means you're less greedy. But the people who are really wealthy, well, they must be greedy. We associate greed with having a lot. We associate people being greedy with uh, having a lot of money. So Jesus is warning us, be on your guard about wanting the, the, the greed of that. Second thing he's going to go into is the parable, verses 16 through 20. Jesus will tell us a story of a farmer. He is obeying God. This farmer is obeying God by working. He has this huge crop. And he has a question to ask himself. What is it that I actually need? And what should I keep for myself? What is it that I actually need? And what do I need to keep for myself? We really need to ask ourselves those very same questions about life. About the things that we have. Is this really a need? Or is this a want? You know, one of the things that I bug my wife about, and I'm just spooled rotten, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been bugging her that it really would be nice to have a pool in the backyard, I'm just telling you. We could have people over, we could have swim parties, it'd be amazing. 
We wouldn't have to go to someone else's house to go swimming. We could just swim in our backyard. You know how sweet that would be? And, of course, my wife, in all of her infinite knowledge, always slaps me upside the head and says, all right, is this a need or is this a want? Yes, ma'am, I know. I'll shut up now. (laughs) Is it a need or is it a want? Do we really need it or is it a want? These are questions that I think we have to ask ourselves. What do we do with all of the extras in life? We learn a lot from this guy in this story that Jesus tells us about what he does with the surplus. In the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, you will see that God gave the command for them not to cut the corners of their, uh, what they farmed. Don't cut the corners. Leave it for the poor. Leave it for the needy so that they will have something to eat. Uh, whether it be the corners or whether it be the edges, he says, don't cut it. And you can learn a lot about how a man thinks or how a man obeys God by how he would cut the edge of his corners. Because God did not give a command on, this is how big the corners sh- you should not cut. It should be at least this much. He didn't give a command on that. He just said, leave some for the people in need. So, you could tell a lot about a person by how big the edges of his crop were left. How much he left for the needy. How much he left for those who didn't have any at all. So, today I think it it switches to bank accounts. In the story we see a guy who has too small of a barn. So he tears his barn down and he builds a bigger barn. With us I think it, it sometimes switches to bank accounts. Well... I don't have enough in this bank account, or they can't, whatever, so I'm just going to get another bank account. So, I I posted something on my Facebook. Some of you may have seen it, and you can go find it if uh, you didn't see it. But it talks about uh, some things on how spoiled we as Americans are. Do you know that the average American household has 300,000 items in it? The average American household, 300,000 items. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want all of y'all to get your phones out. I'm going to go to Corey's Facebook page. I'm going to look at his. No, don't do that right now. Anyway, 300,000 items. Over the last 50 years, the house size in America has tripled. The average household size has tripled. While the average size of a family has decreased. Uh, One out of ten people in one out of ten people in the United States of America rent storage facilities to hold the rest of their stuff they can't put in their house. Most people, and this is just personal knowledge, have too much junk in their garage so they will park their Very expensive vehicles on the outside of the garage and put their junk inside the garage. Makes no sense at all, but whatever. Let me just say this. Jesus is not against us having a barn. Okay? But how big should our barns be? Um, We live in a land of surplus. But how much is too much? How, what will we do with the extra that God has blessed us with? You know, one of the things that Landon said a few sermons back is that uh, we always feel like, why should I have to give 10% of my money back to God? 
And he kind of put it in perspective, said, well, how about the fact that he gets to let you keep 90% of his money that belongs to him already? Kind of puts it back in perspective of that thing. So why is it so hard to give away our money? Why, is it so, why, why do we try to hold on to it so much? And it's because of the empty promises of money. There are a lot of empty promises in money. So let's look at number one. Money promises us significance. If you read back through this passage, I want you in this parable, I want you to really focus on how many times the farmer says, me, mine, mine, I, all these just personal words that he used to describe what's going on in this passage. He even says to, he even will take credit for the crop that grew. The crop that God blessed to grow, he will take credit for it. He forgets God totally. He won't give it away. He has to keep it. He has placed his identity in his stuff. What about us? Have we placed our identity in our stuff? You know, one of the problems is the more that we have, the more we start thinking about ourselves. Man, look how great I am. Pat ourselves on the back. Look at what I've accomplished. What, look at what I have. Jeremiah 2.5 says, If we chase worthless things, we become worthless ourselves. Money promises us significance. The problem with bigger barns is the same as the small barns. At some point, they're going to decay, moth is going to get to it, rust is going to get to it, and it's going to be meaningless. Money promises us significance, money promises us security. Money that makes us think that we have control. Control over our lives, control over the people around us, maybe over our surroundings, over the present, over the future. Watch a person who's lost their job. Totally chaos. Totally chaos. Most of the time. I'm not saying everyone acts that way when they've lost their job. But watch a person who's lost their job. They lose control. Or they finally have come to the realization that I didn't have control to begin with. The moment that we think we have control, Jesus reminds us who we are in verse 20. When God says, you fool. You know, it might be the only time in scripture that God calls someone a fool. Psalm 14 says, a fool says in their heart, there is no God. But that's exactly what we act like when we hold on to our possessions and we don't trust God. So money promises us significance, security, and lastly, it promises us our selfish desires. You know, we all want to be accepted. We all want to belong, and we feel like money is the ticket. Let me show you something crazy. This is kind of cool. Um, I went to a website about global wealth this week, and I put my wife's salary, I mean, I put my salary, not my wife's, only mine. Not ours combined, mine alone. I am in the top 0.28% richest person in the world. Now, I don't want you to lower my salary because you think I make too much. <laughs> but I want you to think about that. 
Because I'd be willing to bet you that most of you probably make more than a youth pastor. I am in the top point two eight. I didn't put my wife's salary in. Let me just remind you. The top point two eight percent richest people in the world. As a matter of fact, that person actually should only be a fourth of that person colored. The rest of it should be gray. That many more people in the world poorer than me. <laughs> right? Let's look at the next image. I'm going to show you what this is. This is if you make $1,000 a month. You are in the top 14% of the world. 14, you are in the top 14% of the world's richest people if you make $1,000 a month. That means there are 86% of the world poorer than you living on less than $1,000 a month. Guys, it's amazing when you look at the statistics, when you really see it on, on paper. I, did, I would have never have thought in my wildest dreams that I was in the top 0.28% in the world. And like I said, that's my salary, not my wife's. A fool will say to himself, self, I want you to notice this. He says to his soul, soul, he's alone. You know, if you had such a, a, an amazing crop, you would think that you would have friends or someone around to show you. Man, man, look at this. This is amazing. Look what God has blessed you with. But he's by himself. He's alone. He's a loner. And I think so many times that's what money does to us. It makes us alone. In Isaiah 5, 8, God is bringing his judgment down on Israel. Israel has turned away from God and is chasing the world. And this is what he says. This is what Isaiah says. Woe to you who add house to house, field to field, until there is no space left. And you live alone in the land. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? We, are, we live in a first world country and we have third world relationships. We live in a first world country and I think that we have third world relationships. People, in 17 days we get the privilege of hopping on a plane and getting to go back to Kenya and build homes for people. I'm going to show you what the opposite side of the world looks like. Because we're going to a third world country. And there are men and women who will get up before the sun comes up. They will walk for hours to get to this village and this site where we're going to build a house. They will work for nothing. Just because someone needs a home. We pay two guys to help build us a home. The ones that are called fundis and they put the roof on the house. We, they pay two people to help build the house. And there will be probably 20 people building the home. And that's because they see someone in need. Guess what? I'm not going to work today. I'm going to go help them build a house. Walk for hours. Build the house. Walk for hours home. And guess what? They get to go home to their wife and their children and say, man, it was amazing. We got to build this house today. I didn't make any money, but 
Man, it was so cool. Third world country, first world relationships. You know, it's amazing how different it is. Remember the big idea. Those who are preoccupied with immediate concerns are in danger of missing what ultimately matters most. And next, Jesus is going to jump in and say, okay, what does this look like? Let's see what this looks like. And in verse 22 through 29, he's going to talk about worry, and he's going to talk about anxiety. So my question to you this morning is, are you worried? Are you concerned? Do you have anxiety? And Jesus gives us a very big command, okay? And that command is, do not worry. Do not worry. So how do we stop worrying? What do we do to stop worrying? The first thing that we have to do to stop worrying is that we have to understand the sin under the sin of worry. Okay? And the sin under the sin of worry is we want to be God. I know some of you are like, Corey, I don't want to be God. I can't handle it. We've all seen uh, the movie with... with uh, what is the movie? Bruce Almighty. And we, we, don't, we can't handle it. We can't handle all the prayers. We wouldn't be able to do it. We would just tell everybody yes, and they would mess up the whole world. But when we worry, I want you to think about it. The sin under the sin. We're trying to be God. We want to be in control. Tim Keller says it like this. Worry is believing that God will not get it right. We're worried that God's not doesn't have our best interest in mind. God's going to mess it up. So therefore, I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to have anxiety about it. <clears throat> so my question to you today is, are you worried? So when we worry, let's see what worry fails to do. Let's see that when we worry, what worry fails to do in our lives. First of all, worry fails to understand divine priority. It says, don't worry about food. Don't worry about what you will wear. Life is more important than these things. When we worry about something so foolish, we're in danger of missing what ultimately matters most. Worry fails to understand divine priority. Secondly, worry fails to understand divine, divine prevention. Provision, excuse me. Consider the ravens. You know, ravens is in West Texas terminology the same as a grackle. Right? We all hate grackles. They scratch our cars. They make weird noises. It's just, they're just annoying. They're a pest, right? They're all over the mall around Christmas time. They poop on your car. It's just, it's just bad. They're a grackle. That's a raven. And, and here is it's a great point. They're the dirty birds. No one likes them. That's what ravens were. What he's trying to explain here. He says God cares for them. God takes care of them. And how much more is God going to provide for you if he provides for the grackles, right? So we fail to understand God's divine prevention, provision. Excuse me. Worry fails to understand divine privilege, 25 and 26. When we try to take care, uh, control of our own life, we worry about what we will eat, how long we will live, we remove the divine privilege that God has placed in our, in our lives of the fact that he's in control. You know, it's amazing to think that uh, 
sometimes we do everything in our power to make sure that we're going to live a peaceful, calm life for the rest of our lives, right? And we're all going to live to be 100, so I need to prepare for that, right? Nothing ever unexpected is going to happen. I'm going to live to be 100, and I'm going to prepare to be able to do nothing for the last 50 years of that, right? Um, we're removing, we fail to, to understand God's, you know, the privilege that we have to be in God's control. The privilege that he chose us. You know, a few weeks, I think it was maybe last week, Landon talked about how many hairs are on each one of our heads. And redheads have less hair than dark-haired people. And, but the fact that God knows is amazing. And yes, if I reach up and pluck one out, he still knows how many I have. He's like, you keep pulling them out, I'm going to make them all fall out, right? So, God's in control. God knows. Uh, fourthly, worry fails to understand divine preference. Jesus now sh shifts his speaking to clothing. He says uh, how he clothed the grass and the lilies in the field. And, you know, even Solomon in all of his splendor was never clothed like one of these. And we never fail to remember that we are made in the image of God. And he's going to take care of us. God is going to provide. And when we worry, we're saying to God, you know what? I don't think you got my back. I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Number five, worry fails to understand divine paternity. This is the first time in Luke where we see Jesus relating God to our Father. He wants us to make the connection that God is our Father. And by being our Father, we get to enjoy the promises that He's made to believers throughout all of history. You know, He's our Dad. He's going to take care of us. He's our Father. And I know sometimes... Uh, saying that God is your father, for some of us, it may bring a negative con uh, context. It may, may bring up something that's negative inside of you. But I'm telling you, God is a loving and heavenly father that will never leave you, will never forsake you. And he's there for you in, in the good times and the bad. So he's our heavenly father. And Jesus points one place where we can find eternal value and significance. And that's ultimately for his divine pleasure. And when we worry, we fail to understand that we were made for God's pleasure. It is for the Father's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. You know, I look forward to that day. I don't know about you, but I look forward to getting to inherit the kingdom of God and being called an heir of God someday. But when we worry, when we have anxiety, when we stress over Life matters that ultimately don't matter. We're saying that, you know, I, I don't understand your, your pleasure that you've called for us. God treasures us. He calls us to be his treasure possession. And because he treasured us, just like we've been talking about in Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he's telling us, it's a very specific command in this passage, do not worry. You know, a few weeks ago, Landon talked about the Samaritan and how the Samaritan helped the man in need. Uh, just a few days ago, Dr. Jeremiah, Dr. David Jeremiah came out with this. Um, uh, he comes out with a daily devotional. This daily devotional just seemed to fit in this story. So 
My question to you today is what would you be willing to give a complete and total stranger who walked in and needed something? I need food, I need this, I need that. Can you help me? Uh, $5, $10. Maybe if you don't have change and you have a 20 in your wallet, you're like, uh, can I get rid of the 20? Give them the 20, right? Um, what's the most you've ever given to someone in need? I just want you to think about that. How about the equivalent of what you make in two days? Because ultimately that's what the Samaritan did. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody take out your smart device or whatever you have there, a little calculator. Right quick, everybody take it out. I didn't take mine out. So there are 52 weeks in a year, five work days in a week, average-ish. Okay, so let's say that there are 260 days that you can work. That's 260 days. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what you make, divide it by 260. Everybody's looking over, everybody's going, what does he make? <sighs> take your salary, what you make, and divide it by 260. That's one day's wage. I want you to think about that, because this is what the Good Samaritan did. He went to the person, said, take care of him. I'm giving you two days wage, which we don't know what it is. Take care of him. If there's any more cost, when I come back through here, I'll give you the rest. I want you to just think about that for a second. When we think about, are we really stingy? Are we really greedy? Are, do we really hold on to our stuff? I want you to ask yourself, I mean... And this is just a story from the Bible. Maybe he only made $10 a day. I don't know. So wasn't a big deal to give him over a 20. I don't know. But I just want you to think about it. In the context of God's word, two days wage, and what you make today, 0.28% richest person in the world, would I be willing to sacrifice two days wage to help a complete stranger? Guys, one of the things that I pray for that this sermon is not something that would stomp on your toes or be like, ah, I'm so greedy, I'm so selfish, I hold on to my, I'm building bigger barns, and I don't want that to happen. My biggest prayer for us in hearing what God tells us through this passage is that we obey God when he tells us to give, we obey God when he tells us not to to keep these things or not to do these things, that we would, we would seriously go with everything that we purchase, everything that we give away, everything that we give, everything that we um, buy. Go into it with prayer. Say, you know, Lord, help me to be wise with my money. You've entrusted this money to me. Help me to know how to honor you with what you've given me. Guys, I cannot tell you how to live your life as far as your money or your possessions go. I cannot. But I pray that we all listen to what God tells us. So how's your greed today? Are you holding on to more than you need to? Are you storing up stuff in your barns that someone else might get someday? Um, are we playing God? Do we trust that he knows best? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a great chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you want to read a chapter about giving generously. Paul reminds us in verse 9. 
He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Guys, God has our best interest in mind. And he sent his son to seek and to save each and every one of us. And I pray that as he has sought us out and he has saved us from our sin and what we deserve, that we would obey him with our entire lives. And yes, that does mean our finances. Yes, that does mean our possessions and our homes. It means everything that God's given to us that we would obey and honor him with the things that he's given us. Um, Last little part here. It says, the cure to foolish, sinful, materialistic greed is to use what God has given us for his glory and the benefit of others. And let me just say this as a kind of a charge to the graduates. It's kind of, I think it's no coincidence that this passage fell on graduate Sunday. And because I know that our world tells us to chase after your dreams, to make a lot of money, to retire in style. And I just want to charge you, even if you're the poorest person in the world or the richest person in the world, I pray that you would honor God with your whole life. And yes, that does mean with your finances, with your stuff. Guys, and I pray that prayer for all of us, but especially as graduates, I know that... um, We all want to go out and we want to make a million, right? Which isn't as much as it used to be, but um, I pray that we would honor God with everything that he gives us. Everything that he's entrusted to us. uh, And we would obey his commands that he gives to us. So let's pray. Father, I, I pray that each of us in this room would take your warning seriously. Lord, we should be on our guard. We should be on our guard against all the greed that this world throws at us. We should be on our guard about the stuff that we have. Because, Lord, money promises us so many empty things. It's not a sin to have money, but it's definitely a sin if we're greedy and we hold on to it when we're not supposed to. So, Jesus, I pray that you would give us knowledge I pray that you would give us wisdom on what we are to do with what you've given us, with what you have entrusted to us. And Father, with our lives, with our possessions, and even yes, Lord, even with our money, I pray that we would never seek to obey you and to bring you honor and glory with everything that you've given us. So Father, we love you. We pray that you would um, be honored by our actions after hearing this warning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand up.